Welcome back. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I am joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter for him. Nick, uh, I know you love the, the, I almost said the combine, the draft. Uh, nobody likes the combine. It's boring as hell. Uh, I know you like the draft, though. Um, what did you think of the virtual draft for the first time ever? I enjoyed it. I uh, I do really enjoy the NFL draft. We've talked plenty of times, so I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the NFL. I, I have a small, uh, I think there's a small chance that might change, especially if the NFL is maybe the first thing that really comes back uh, in the fall. We'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. But the draft itself is always one of the more fun events for me uh, each year, just kind of, you know, love seeing names from uh, the past few seasons in college football, see how uh, the, you know, professionals uh, assess those players, the, the talent evaluators compared to what our numbers say and what my own personal opinion is. And, and I think I've said before, I kind of refer to it as a bit of a graduation event uh, for college football. It's kind of the last chance to see some of these guys for for me because i just sort of lose touch with with a lot of them uh in the nfl but uh, i enjoyed it like like the virtual aspect of it it was uh neat to see everybody sort of you know in home war room set up uh and uh yeah I, I enjoyed it so it was a fun three days what was your uh when you looked at the first round what was the the first pick where you went what what are they doing what what was that <laughs> Uh, I mean, the first one that, that comes to mind, uh, I don't know if it was the first reaction I had to that, but the Jordan Love to the Packers didn't didn't strike me as uh, <laughs> the, the best choice. I mean, I, I, I've lost touch a little bit, but I do know Aaron Rodgers and know uh, how good he is and, and has been. And uh, it was interesting because, of course, the parallels between when they, tra- uh, they drafted uh, Rogers when yeah, Brett Favre was age. still on the roster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Jordan Love just, I, I understand that from a physical standpoint, a tool standpoint, he has a uh, huge potential. I mean, but, uh, and so part of that is if you get a guy that's got huge potential and you can, you know, sit him for a couple of years and he learns how to be a professional and learns, uh, you know, your, your system and all that stuff, it can pay off. But, I just think he's got a lot of work to do to to be a successful NFL quarterback. So, you know, that that seems like as everybody in the world has said, you know, maybe maybe getting Aaron Rodgers a few more weapons to to work with might have been uh smarter in the short term, but uh who knows? I mean, drafting Rodgers worked out pretty well for him uh before, but the the second thing probably which happened first was I thought there was a, a pretty big drop off between Jeffrey Akuda and the number two corner, uh, just who, whoever it was going to be. And it, right. it turned out to be CJ Henderson at Jacksonville. And mm-hmm. I said, uh, we were in the, the chat for the draft uh, event that, that you were hosting. And I mentioned that I was pretty, pretty pleased that he was taken uh, uh, before the Falcons could get to him. And I, I just, I don't know exactly what my problem with CJ Henderson is, but I just, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. It's just it's it's iffy. There were just some things watching him play that sort of 
you know, gave me a funny feeling. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but I just, he, he, hopefully he'll be a, a great pro and a great player. Um, but I just, as a, as a Falcons fan, wasn't super excited about that. But then they took AJ Terrell, which I thought, well, maybe CJ Henderson's a little bit, a little bit better than AJ Terrell. So, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I just, <laughs> that, that position group, uh, jumped out to me and I've been proven wrong plenty and if you've got a need and you've got a guy you like it, it certainly makes sense who am i to argue with thomas dimitrov or any other uh nfl gm but um just from the the outside looking in i thought there was a pretty pretty big fall off after akuda was off the board and and uh i thought from that point corner was kind of a, a shallow class there might have been opportunities to get better players maybe that didn't feel you know fill an immediate need but uh i i you know uh, it was a little bit of a uh, lackluster first round pick, but uh, you know, hope hope uh, he does great. Hope he proves me wrong, uh, just like with any any of them. You know, I don't I don't have any hard feelings towards any of them. So, uh, I, uh, for me, it was uh, the one that caught me off guard was the Raiders Damon Arnett pick. I was like, what? That's a good, yeah. Same same deal. Yeah, I mean, it's just a the position group. Right, I mean, right, yeah. It, well, not only that. But like at least, yeah, at least Henderson and AJ Terrell, those guys have been kind of mocked, you know, in the first round at some point. You know, uh, Terrell maybe more of a back end first round pick. He wound up going right in the middle at sixteen, and then uh, Henderson, you know, sometimes in mocks would go to the Jaguars. Sometimes he'd slip down to the Falcons, but that's about usually as deep as he got. I don't remember seeing Arnett in the first round of any pick. And then Xavier, to keep with tradition, the Seattle Seahawks just picked someone no one expected them to take <laughs> in the first round in Jordan Brooks, a linebacker from Texas Tech, who is not a terrible pick. And look, I don't want to crap on the Seahawks because I don't want people to, you know, drudge up my old reports like they're doing a Matt Miller the year that they took Russell Wilson. He gave him a D or whatever, or someone from Bleacher Report did. I don't know if it was Matt Miller or not. But, um, they know what they want, and you know they take whoever it is. Sometimes it works out, and sometimes it's Rashad Penny. So uh, I don't know uh, mm-hmm. how Jordan Brooks is going to be with them. But what what did you see in uh, the early goings in the NFL draft, Xavier? It was the the one that thing that stuck out to me. We didn't learn this until after the first round, but it was that the fact that the Panthers didn't take Simmons, not because they didn't want him, but because they thought he would be better for a veteran team. And I and I and I sat there and thought to myself, I thought he. I mean, I guess that's a good enough reason to take him there at seven. Or, but that's not a real reason, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. I was, I was thinking, how, that, how dare you guys question Matt Rule? I can't he's, believe he's what I'm hearing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he is in the NFL, so he is dead to you, I guess. But. Nick puts down Matt Rule's picture right now. Uh, I don't know. That probably was the weirdest explanation for not picking somebody um also i really disliked i I thought cd lamb for the cowboys was a good pick don't get me wrong i just felt like it was a luxury pick that they didn't really need and it didn't solve any of the issues that they had going into the draft with that selection um i felt like they needed a pass rusher and after getting giving away your best corner they needed a corner and yes you go out and get the best player available sure that's fine uh, but your defense right now still looks abysmal and i don't well, think clearly you're that forgetting that they signed alden smith so, I mean, obviously, right? I mean, <laughs> foolproof. It's an absolute <laughs> right. foolproof signing. Um, yeah, I didn't mind CeeDee Lamb uh, to the Cowboys, spe- uh, specifically because it means that, 
you know, a school player I hate goes to another team I hate. So that's fine. Uh, The Cowboys taking an Oklahoma player and they took Galmore, too. So I I like that. Um, But, yeah, I I mean, I I actually kind of like that pick. I think it's okay, And they address corner a little bit later, which is to me was their bigger need because they lost Byron Jones to the Dolphins as well. Um, But I really hated the Ravens draft because it was really good. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. I think everyone in the Steelers uh, division had a great draft. I think the Bengals did a good job getting Joe Burrow and T. Higgins and uh, the rest of their guys. And I thought Cleveland did a pretty stellar job as well. And Pittsburgh was just okay. But it wouldn't be the NFL draft if Nick hadn't laid out some uh, nice notes here for us. And I like these, Nick. The SEC dominates the draft with 63 players drafted from the conference, including 15 in the first round, three more than the previous record. 14 LSU players were selected, tying Ohio State for the modern seven-round record. Four Alabama players were picked in the top 15, which tied a record. And um, those are really interesting. And then uh, I like this, how much do stars matter portion that you put here, too. According to 247 Sports, 19 former five-star players were drafted in 2020, followed by 73 four-stars, 110 three-stars, 32 two-stars, and only 21 unranked players, which means they're getting better. Because I remember, I believe, Nick, it was the Super Bowl between, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the Seahawks and Patriots, the uh, Malcolm Butler Super Bowl. And they were saying that no five stars were starting on either squad, and the average star rating of those players was like 2.7 or something. And I think it was from 247. It might have been from a different source uh, of the players. But it's funny now that the star rankings are really lining up in the draft, right? Yeah, and, and that's sort of by design. I mean, I've heard uh, the, the team there, I think, does a, uh, an excellent job, puts a, a lot of effort, a lot of energy into uh, rating these players, ranking them, and, and uh, do about as good a job as, as you could hope for. It's it's almost impossible to, you know, really get a grasp on every high school football player in the country, but they do about as, as well as I think anybody could expect and and they uh use the nfl draft as sort of a guide that's why they're 32 um five stars every year they the five stars are are supposed to represent uh people they think are going to be first round nfl draft picks and and that's sort of where the breakup in positions is as well why you might see one tight end or or you know maybe two at the most in in a particular year i think this year they only had one interior offensive lineman who was a five-star because you know centers aren't, aren't likely to be taken early on and and really in recent years guards haven't haven't been as uh you know as, as popular as, as first round picks and, and running backs of course we're seeing fewer five-star running backs now because you're only seeing one or two a year drafted in the first round so i i think they made a really smart decision to to do that use that as their guide and and it seems to be that you know they're they're getting better and better as you mentioned uh, across the years. I'm sure technology helps a lot. I, the uh, evolution in you know camps and and the sort of the importance of uh, guys getting to uh, you know particular camps and and combine type events and, and all that stuff stuff certainly helps. But uh, I, I thought it was really really interesting and and I think it might be part of you know maybe it wouldn't have worked out this way if it weren't a virtual draft if there had been an ability to go to more pro days especially uh 
you know, the, the smaller division, smaller conference uh, teams. Uh, maybe it, it was so heavily, uh, you know, rooted to the highly ranked, highly uh, recruited players from Power Five schools because, you know, uh, NFL decision makers really couldn't put their eyes on these guys as much as they would in a normal year because of all the, the shutdowns and, and things like that. So it's an interesting thing, I think, just to keep in mind as we're looking at these numbers, because I, I think there is a point to be made there. But um, I think on the whole, and, and it really is because it's, you know, the first thing we look at when we're making player ratings, uh, our, our individual player ratings at CFP Winning Edge is recruiting rankings. And, and I think they're the most important thing by far. So uh, I think that, that it certainly makes sense that things shook out this way, but I think there also is a, maybe a tiny little bit of a caveat that we have to think about that uh, maybe the virtual aspect of this year's draft played a role. And Xavier, what do you think about uh, the um, the ranking systems with the stars and kind of recognizing those names going higher in the draft, it seems like every year? Yeah, I think kids are coming in a little bit more polished than maybe in the past. I think that right now, you see kids, and we'll get to some of them later um, in, in uh, our 247 kind of who's up next uh, ratings and people that we have coming up next. I think kids are coming in a little bit more polished. You know, Nick alluded to the camps that you're going to. But with that, you know, kids are allowed to play the top talent in the country, and it's not necessarily just based on where you play football anymore. If you're the best, they will find you. Um, and I think that mm-hmm. now, you know, kids are also going to, I think, bigger uh, more uh, NFL-ready powerhouses. I think when you go to a Clemson, it's almost – you almost feel like you're going to get drafted. No, you know, saying that as right, long as you don't right. go to get drafted by the side. Raiders, probably. Yeah, probably, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so I think that schools are also being are, are a lot better now at feeding, um, and kids are noticing that, and they're going to these schools, which just me- with uh, which just means now that there's more NFL kids on the same school, so they're always kind of helping each other out in that regard. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely been an interesting process. Process, and you're right, uh, the virtual draft. Uh, could be, uh, to be honest, I feel like we're, we might get more virtual draft stuff, but uh, they want to have it in Cleveland next year, and that's the announcement. So we'll see if that actually yeah. happens. You know, that's a, a question mark at this point, but it'll be back in Vegas, I think, in uh, 2023. Uh, so, oh, 2022. Okay, good. So uh, I'll have to remake my plans because I almost, uh, I'm telling you guys, I was like, ready to click on the purchase button on some hotel rooms. And I went, ah, I better wait. I better wait. So uh, yeah, good no, thing that I did. That, so That's a draft uh, trip for my dad and I every year. We went to Dallas two years ago and Nashville last year. Uh, so we were on our way to Vegas. And then my dad was like, eh, I think we should wait this year. Well, you can um, meet me in Vegas in 2022, you and your old man. It'll, we'll have a great time. So, Sounds good. Um, let's talk about some transfer news, guys, because there is some great, big, huge, breaking transfer news. Former Michigan wide receiver Tariq Black <laughs> announced his commitment to transfer to my Texas Longhorns. Uh, he's recorded 25 catches for 323 yards and a touchdown last season. He had a lot of injury stuff uh, the last two years, so hopefully he's going to be able to uh, turn that over. But I'm pretty damn excited about Tariq Black. Nick, what do you think about him going to my Longhorns? Well, I mean, there's certainly a, a, an opportunity for him to come in and, and be an immediate impact player. Obviously, Texas lost Devin Duvernay and Colin Johnson, uh, both of whom were, were drafted last year. So two talented or, or just last week. So two very talented 
wideouts and, you know, Sam Ellinger going into a senior year, big year for Texas in general, getting another weapon and, and helping to replace some of that production is huge. And Black's a, a you know, he's a big receiver, 6'3", 215, uh, was pretty highly rated coming out of high school, a high uh, four-star player. Things didn't work out at Michigan. And, you know, you have to think part of that certainly is is injuries. Part of that might be Michigan. So uh, there's hope for uh, Texas to, you know, maybe be able to, to pull a little bit more of his full potential out. I uh, saw one you know, uh, immediate uh, take, I guess, when when uh, the news broke that maybe this is uh, Ellinger's number one receiver in 2020. I, I don't know if I'm quite ready to go with that yet. I think neither that, am I. Uh, Brennan Eagles I, I had a pretty nice breakout performance a couple of times. A lot of people really like Jake Smith. Uh, as well, but well, you know, I think you can't Eagles have... is probably going to line up in the slot, right, Nick? You have Eagles in the the slot, and that's where Duvernay was with over a hundred catches last year. So I'm right with you there. I think Eagles is definitely the the number one with Smith and Black playing on the outside, right? Sure, and, and I've seen some that you know speculate that maybe Smith fits that role. He's a little bit smaller, a little built, not uh, you know not quite like Duvernay. Duvernay is pretty small. Jake Smith is, I think, 6'1", 190, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, l- a little bit different, but uh, you know they've got options. I mean, Jordan Whittington, somebody we didn't see very much last year. We've heard that he's officially going to be a, a wide receiver. They had uh, thought about having him at running back last year. So uh, add another, you know, another player to the mix. And then if you go down the, the list in our team profiles, there's guys with, you know, mid nineties uh, ratings from two, four, seven sports all, all across, you know, names that don't necessarily ring a bell at, at first for me, Marcus Washington, Avante Woodard, you know, they've got some new guys coming in. So there's options and, and you can never have too many, uh, too many good players. You can never have uh, too many receiving options. So I think it's certainly a, uh, a positive for it's, sure. It's funny uh, that you mentioned Michigan, Nick, because uh, Xavier, I'm not sure if you saw this, but I know you're going to enjoy this stat. 337 players invited to the combine, right? Um, mm-hmm. 336 drafted or signed as UDFAs. One invitee to the combine not signed after the UDFA signing period. Do you know who it was? Was it Shay? It was Shay Patterson. Of course it so, was. Uh, who went specifically uh, to Michigan to get drafted. And not only did he not get drafted, he also was the UDFA after being invited to the Combine. That's crazy. So I think, uh, you know, Tariq Black is smart uh, to get out of Michigan because John Harbaugh just can't uh, – Jim Harbaugh just can't get an offense to to work there. But uh, we had other transfer news as well. Of course, nothing as big as Tariq Black. I mean, everybody knows that. (laughs) But LSU added another transfer from the FCS level in uh, Harvard interior offensive lineman Liam Shanahan. Uh, He's a three-year starter uh, for the Crimson and earned all Ivy honors twice. He's considered an NFL prospect, so a great ad for LSU. And a former wide receiver, uh, Miami wide receiver Brian Hightower transferred to Illinois. He has two years of eligibility remaining, but he probably won't be able to play until 2021. And then Nebraska quarterback uh, Nick Vedrill announced his intent to transfer. Uh, he started his year with UCF, then he followed Scott Frost to Nebraska, and he started two games last year when Adrian Martinez was banged up, but obviously wasn't that good. So, Nick, uh, the LSU uh, getting 
uh, Liam Shanahan, and then Brian Hightower and Noah Vedral. What do you think about those moves? Well, I think the the LSU, you know, Shanahan going to LSU is, is probably going to have the biggest impact for 2020. And it's kind of interesting that LSU is now twice gone to FCS for graduate transfers and guys that they're probably going to lean on a little bit. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I haven't really watched very much uh, Liam Shanahan, I have to be honest, but uh, you what know, do you, mean? you haven't gone so- through, watched all the all 22 Harvard tape. Come on. Not Nick. yet. Not yet. But you know, it's, it's still fairly early in the off season. So <laughs> maybe, maybe later, but he's, you know, he, he's, he's small by sec standards. Everything I've seen, seen him uh, listed is, is six, five, two seventy, And that's, that's pretty uh, spelt for, uh, for an interior offensive lineman. So I'm sure they're going to want to, uh, Put a little weight on him, and and then also, you know, I mean, LSU has got really uh, talented players, and and so you wonder, you know, is this really somebody who can come in and make an, an immediate impact? Similar to to Black, it's certainly a positive. Better to have uh, somebody added to the mix, but um, you know, we'll we'll see. Perhaps we've seen guys transfer into the SEC and, and do well. I mean, Auburn had uh, J, uh, Jack. Driscoll, who played uh, tackle, I believe, for the last couple of years, transferred from UMass and uh, got got drafted uh, just a, a few days ago. So uh, certainly, you know, we could see a similar situation. LSU only brings back one full-time starter, really one and a half uh, starters based on guys that got a lot of playing time. So there's certainly opportunities, I think, for Shanahan to, to come in and and uh, carve out a role. I mean, guard is is potentially going to be a, a spot of great need so uh certainly i think you'll have plenty of of opportunities to uh you know to, to earn some playing time maybe a, a starting spot the others we'll kind of wait and see i mean hightower is uh, again a fairly highly rated player coming out of high school signed with miami uh illinois has has been in the transfer portal a lot it really worked out well for him Last year, uh, there are a few other guys from South Florida that have gone to Illinois, so hopefully he'll uh, fit in well there, and, and uh, it'll be a good landing spot for him. Probably won't see him until 2021, but you know things always have a, a chance of uh, working out if he's able to get a waiver. Vedral's interesting because he's from Nebraska, went to UCF, and and you know uh, played a little bit there. wasn't wasn't a starter, obviously, with Mackenzie Milton, but. Uh, Played some last year. It was a guy that Scott Brost, I think, was really happy to have because he was able to come in and uh, sort of play that role of a veteran quarterback who knew the system and could teach a younger guy like Adrian Martinez, younger as you know, twelve months or whatever. But uh, interesting to see that he's he's been with Scott Frost at two different places, but uh, either you know wants a chance to start somewhere, maybe at the FCS level or something like that, or uh, maybe just decided it, it wasn't right for him in Nebraska. So interesting to see where he where he ends up. Xavier, any takes on uh, any of these transfers? I can't wait to see uh, Orzoran talk about the kid and talk about how smart he is. Um, I think that, you know, that's going to be the first thing that Orgeron said, and that'll probably be the thing he finishes with. I think other than that, I think Black going to Texas is a huge get for them. Um, you know, you lose two talented receivers like you guys did last year, and you get a, a senior quarterback who's going to be looking around like, I need help. Um, and the best thing to do that is to go out and get him proven talent who can who played at big, uh, big schools and played in uh, big games. And although he didn't have the necessary production, um, this is a guy who we all talked about last year being a guy who could – 
you know, make that next step. And I think going to Texas is an amazing move for him. I mean, he gets a quarterback that he's, you know, never seen before. Um, and I think that at Texas, Sam Ellinger is going to get the ball to him. I think the thing that you have to think about the most is if Sam Ellinger spreads the ball around, he's going to get touches. And I think he made the perfect move by going to Texas, going to the Big 12, where they're going to put up like 30 points a game on average. And I think that this is a great move for him and Texas as well. And Sam Ellinger most likely going to get drafted. At least mm. will be signed as a UDFA. <laughs> So, uh, other news before we move on to, uh, really the meat of the show is, uh, we're going to be talking about the, the next, uh, and you guys have picked out some superstars that should move more into the spotlight this year and then look at our 2020 picks for, uh, the all SEC preseason team. So, but before we get there, uh, Jaden Hazelwood, the wide receiver from Oklahoma suffered an ACL tear, uh, during a workout and that is going to sideline him. For the entire 2020 season, which really sucks. I mean, even though I, you know, I, I do enjoy the rivalry between Texas and Oklahoma. You hate to see a kid tear up his knee. It's just terrible news. And then um, th- this one is weird, Nick. I know that this just kind of came out, so I, you know, I'm not going to hold you responsible for explaining the entire <laughs> thing to us. But um, the NCAA worked out some stuff on the kids potentially getting paid. Uh, using their likeness and things of that nature. So at least some steps in the right direction, right? Yeah, I mean, th- things are a little too complicated for me, and I-, I think there's still a lot of questions that, you know, will we'll need to be answered before we really actually know anything. But the NCAA yeah, did release not a, a statement. quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and there, you know, there were, there were some good with this. There were some bad. There were some things that didn't quite makes sense so uh, you know I, i'm sure we'll learn more as it goes and and uh, i'm sure there will be some tweaks to some of the ideas that that they put out especially with uh wanting congress to get involved it doesn't seem to be a whole lot of appetite from what i've seen early on you know congress's behalf but uh anyway i mean they, they released a, a statement looking to uh support you know broadening name image and likeness opportunities for players things like social media being able to uh, make money off your social media presence personal businesses other appearances which seems like a, a step in the right direction um there were uh, some discussions and a conference call after they released this statement. And like I said, some of it was, was good. Some of it was a little iffy. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but it sounds like there are going to be further discussions and, and that'll take place during this calendar year with the potentially a vote in January, 2021. And then if they adopt a new rule, it'll be implemented for the 2021, 22, uh, season. So, uh, the one thing I'm sure that, you know, a lot of people look for first is what does this mean for the video game? And we've talked about that before. And and sort of the quote that came out of the conference call uh, didn't make it sound like that was going to happen at least in in the next couple of years. Yeah. Sort of, uh, mm-hmm. The Big East uh, commissioner said, you know, quote, group licensing is unworkable in college sports. And I think that has to do with you know because the the uh, NFL Players Association, Major League Baseball Players Association, all those things, uh, they've got a union. They're able to work right. and, and uh, iron out all the details all together. And, yeah, it was uh, always tough putting in the guys that weren't in the union. You know, Barry Bonds wasn't, so uh, that, that was annoying. And then um, the, the, other, the other big one that I remember was, because I'm a Diamondbacks fan, and, uh, you know, I played uh, a lot of 
Uh, it wasn't the show. I think it was triple play baseball in the early 2000s. And Damian Miller was the uh, catcher for the D-backs, but he was a scab player during the, the strike-shortened season, so he wasn't allowed to be in the uh, the union. So the, he wasn't right. in any of the video games either, so that was kind of... It was kind of funny. It's like you go from Barry Bonds, oh, who's the other guy they don't have? Oh, Damian Miller, okay, who no <laughs> one's ever heard of. So uh, that, that was always kind of funny, but I, I mean... I, I wouldn't be surprised if EA just went and hired people like, hey, look, you go get as many people to sign this from the SEC that you can. You know, sure. uh, you, you know, you go to the Big 12 teams, whatever, or just areas and get as many mm-hmm. uh, as they can and then, you know, make up the rest of the players and do like they did before. So sure. uh, fingers crossed. I'm just trying to find a way to get us this video <laughs> game back, Nick. So. Sure. Hey, that would be great. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It doesn't sound like it's it's dead quite yet, but it right. sounds like maybe among some of the, the details that it's on the back, burner. maybe it's going to take a little while to work out that, that might not be uh, up first, but I think you're right. that EA sports would love to have it, you know, yesterday if they could. And uh, Xavier, what do you think about uh, the potential of paying the players and stuff like that? Do you see this as uh, eye rolling news because the NCAA is working on it and it just always seems to never pan out? Or do you see it as somewhat encouraging this time? I'm still going to continue to roll my eyes until I see any pen to paper. Um, I think the NCAA is getting it right by having conversation. Uh, but it's just, you know, conversation at this point. Uh, I think it's a little worrying to think that it could be a couple of years out from now that we finally get a video game. Uh, that means there's going to be a lot more uh, discussions and a lot more meetings at the table uh, for both sides for the next couple of years. Um, but I mean, this is better than what we had five years ago when they weren't discussing it at all. And we didn't think that they would ever get played or another video game would be created whatsoever. Uh, so I think that we're moving in the right direction, but until the NCAA really starts to talk about it, and especially without Congress getting involved, um, I think it's going to be eye rolling for a while. I do like that. Uh, all four of us, our main concern is getting the video game back. You know, yeah. it's uh, the number one concern. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. Paying the players is great and everything. They deserve it, but we really just want our video game. So uh, that's, that's a pretty funny way to go about it. Um, Nick's also some encouraging news about uh, the potential for the season to actually kick off, right? It sounds like it. I mean, there were some FBS institutions that have made statements, again, you know, that, that they uh, plan to, and wording, of course, is, is important there, plan to. Uh, return to campus this fall. A lot of a lot of fairly big names. I've seen Alabama, LSU, Michigan, Oregon, Miami, Missouri, Oklahoma, and and several others. So uh, it's it's certainly a step in the right direction if you're uh, holding out hope for a 2020 college football season to start on time. Of course, there's a lot of time to go between now and when the season would kick off or when players would, uh, you know, get back for fall camp or summer camp or whatever it is that they're going to uh, do to, to ramp up. So uh, it, it's it's worth maybe not getting your hopes up too high, but uh, it also is nice to have a little bit of hope and it's at least a, uh, maybe a, a good sign. And, and we don't necessarily know what this type of season might look like. I mean, if it gets started on time, we certainly have an idea, but if there's some changes that need to be made, there's a lot of different scenarios. And this morning on ESPN.com, there was a pretty good uh, write-up that that went through a lot of different, uh, you know, different scenarios of, of 
Could we see uh, a shortened season? Should we, you know, could we see in that case uh, only conference games? Would we see changes so that teams played uh, much closer geographical rivals than you know spread out games like we see and and uh, it, the potential that maybe there's a, a season in the spring or, or even you know start in the fall and and pick it up later in the spring. So a lot of weird stuff could happen. So uh, you know. We'll just sort of have to take it as it comes, but a small, you know, little bit of hope, something to, to look forward to is, is uh, some of these major institutions that we're going to uh, lean on to, to give us an idea uh, are also hopeful that there will be school this fall. And then, you know, that makes you think football as well. Uh, Xavier, you're the uh, glass half empty guy. Well, what do you think about them uh, say, saying the, this positive news? Are you getting excited about it, or are you is this yet another eye roller? No, I think this is more positivity. Um, I think you have to look at the big guys to kind of lead the line for everybody else. Um, I think if they are the people who take the risk to put everybody out for you know fall camp, I think you'll start seeing other big names fall in line. Um, and, I mean, I'm not trying to poop on all the smaller schools, but – you know, these are the schools that kind of bring college football. Um, this is where college football, you know, and, and ultimately if LSU, Michigan, you know, the Alabamas of the world and all those guys start to get ready to go for college football, then you have no uh, choice but to get ready yourself. Um, so I think that this is positive news. Um, and I think that, you know, we just have to, you know, hope and pray that this continues. Yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. I hope everything works out. I think it will, too. So. Um, you know, I, I'm expecting college football and NFL football to not go off without a hitch, but to move on in, in the, you know, normal format that we see them. So maybe things will get pushed back a little bit, but hopefully everything starts on time and we can get rolling. So we can see who is going to become the next big superstars of NCAA football here. And uh, there was a great article, The Next uh, just kind of explain to us what was going on here, Nick. Yeah, so it's it's been a little while. On, on March 31st uh, at uh, 247 Sports, Barton Simmons put together an article that uh, was titled, These are the college football players who've got next. And, and uh, I don't know about you guys, I was a, a former ESPN, the magazine subscriber, so they had like the next episode yep. or uh, uh you know, addition each each summer, and so it's it's always a, an interesting idea. And, and that was started like so to, long ago, Nick. That Cordell Stewart was one of the <laughs> next. Hey, he he was great, but uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, even Xavier knows him. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, back back in in late March, they uh, posted the story, and I, I thought it did a, a you know gave a, a a good view, a nice selection of players and different categories that you know could be the next whatever. And and we have a a list in our Google Doc here that we share. Uh, for the show where we've written in different, you know, potential off-season topics. And one of the first ones I wrote, and, you know, back in December or January, we're trying to get ideas for a long off-season was, you know, who's going to be the next Joe Burrow? I think a lot of people have asked that question. So that's one thing that they uh, looked at. They also, uh, other players were, you know, Derek Stingley, Jonathan Taylor, Henry Ruggs, Isaiah Simmons, Patrick Queen, Mackay Becton, and J.K. Dobbins. And, and they gave an example, you know, what does that mean? I think we all know who's the next Joe Burrow. Could be a transfer quarterback or it could be, uh, you know, the way they describe it as a quarterback who took the leap 
from good to great. Uh, Derek Stingley was a true freshman that took college football by storm. Jonathan Taylor was a running back with a historic career. Uh, Henry Ruggs became an NFL Combine superstar, you know, maybe somebody early in the 2019 season we didn't expect to be the first receiver, you know, off the board at the the NFL draft, but had a a huge, huge Combine and and became that player. The next Isaiah Simmons, uh, they refer to that as college football Swiss Army Knife, plays all those positions, does a lot of uh, fun and interesting things. Patrick Queen is somebody who really uh, came on the scene kind of late and didn't really uh, jump out to, to most of us until late in the season, SEC championship, national championship game, uh, but became a first round guy. We're drafted by the, the Ravens in the first round. So uh, who's somebody that's kind of under the radar right now that, that could uh, become that next uh, breakout performer and, and first round talent? And then who's a, a first round talent that we shouldn't forget about? That's who they uh, said, Mekhi Becton, the offensive lineman at, at Louisville. Um and then J.K. Dobbins was a bounce back player, had a sophomore slump, but really came on strong as a junior and then was selected uh, really high for a running back in, in the NFL draft. So Barton Simmons gave his own, uh, you know, he, his own person that, that he thought was the next. Uh, the next borough, he said, was Jamie Newman, the quarterback at Georgia. The next Derek Stingley, uh, he said, is uh, Eric Gilbert, the tight end wide receiver at LSU. Uh, for Jonathan Taylor, he said uh, Diamante Trainum. I'm, I'm probably pronouncing that uh, incorrectly, but running back at Arizona State, uh, who's probably going to get a lot of action as a true freshman. Uh, he believes Anthony Schwartz, the wide receiver at Auburn, is going to be the next Henry Ruggs. Good pick. I like it's him. Interesting. I like uh, he's man. He is. A, yeah. Like he shot out of a rocket. Uh, Micah Parsons, probably one I, I would agree with for sure as, as the next Isaiah Simmons. I think he's probably going to be the best player in college football. I, I've referenced him a couple of times as the next uh, sort of Chase Young of this past year. If we were going to say somebody other than Joe Burrow was the best player in college football, it, it would be Chase Young, I think, next year, you know, other than the Heisman Trophy winner, who's the best player, it could be Micah, uh, Micah Parsons. And uh, he said uh, Jeremiah Owosu. Uh, Karamoa, the linebacker at Notre Dame, uh, would be the next Pat Queen. Uh, Walker Little, offensive tackle at Stanford, he thinks will be the next Mackay Becton. Uh, Little, of course, spent uh, almost all of last year injured. Uh, it was a big reason why Stanford was so disappointing. Uh, and he said Caden Stearns at, at Texas, uh, big-time mm. player as a freshman, struggled last year, had some injuries. I <laughs> uh, think so. he'll bounce back. So I, I thought that was a – uh, you know, obviously a great uh, group of players, but I thought that uh, Xavier and I could sort of bounce back and forth on some of the players that we would pick. And then, Scott, please, if you've got anybody that, that jumps to mind, uh, hop in at any time. But, Xavier, who, who, who do you think has the chance to be the next Joe Burrow? Um, I really like Jaden Daniels out of Arizona State. Um he was good last year. Um, Arizona State as a team wasn't all that great. I don't believe they barely made a bowl game. They finished seven and five on the year. They had a big win against Oregon, but I think Jaden Daniels takes that next step. I think they take um, you know the reins off of this kid and let him really go. Um, last year his stats are about twenty nine hundred yards, seventeen touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, you know, good stats for a freshman, but I really think that they're going to give him the keys to the team and allow him to attempt to go for way more. I'm, I'm looking at a guy who I think can easily hit. 3,700 yards, 30 touchdowns, and less than 10 interceptions next year. I think Jaden Daniels takes the next step. He's a guy who not only uses his arm amazingly and knows how to throw the football down the field, uh, but I think will, you know, 
polished um, in the intermediate game, and he's also somebody who can use his feet. Um, I don't want to give him too much hype like we did Khalil Tate after his first year at Arizona. <laughs> I think, <laughs> but I think this kid has a lot. It is a lot better of a quarterback than Khalil Tate was, um, which was he was more of an athlete. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like that pick. I'll throw one in uh, for the quarterbacks at least, Nick. How about Bo Nix out of uh, Auburn? Uh, I like. I, I thought he did a great job as a freshman last year. Plus, he's got Schwartz and Williams, uh, pretty experienced wide receivers to throw to. So I'll, I'll throw Bo Nix in there as well. Sure, and and I think those are both both solid picks. I, I had the. The thought in my mind that, you know, Joe Burrow being a, a transfer, who could be a transfer that goes and, and sort of blossoms maybe in a uh, with a change of scenery. And I think K.J. Costello at Mississippi State sort of fits the bill. And, and it's interesting because I've been I've been doing a lot of uh, college fantasy football mock drafts recently, like in the last couple of weeks. So some of these thoughts have, have been going through my mind uh, with a CFF sort of. Uh, you know, twinge to them. And, and KJ Costello is one of them. And it's interesting because, you know, we've seen quarterbacks at Washington State put up huge numbers. And we've seen first-time starters at Washington State the last two years, uh, first and foremost, put up huge numbers. And, and, you know, Gardner Minshew didn't even come on campus, I don't believe, until the summer. So when we think like, okay, well, is, is, you know, somebody coming in and, and learning a new system really going to be behind, you know, is that going to have a huge impact because we haven't been able to do spring practice and all that sort of stuff. I'm not a hundred percent sure that really applies to Mike Leach and, and KJ Costello one, because I think the system is fairly simple. I mean, you know, they, they, they do a lot of interesting things. It's not easy to defend, obviously, but it, it's simple enough that he's able to teach a, a brand new guy almost on a yearly basis. And even go back to his days at, at Texas Tech, I mean, they had, you know, Cliff Kingsbury was his first quarterback and, and immediately, you know, completely changed the system from a, a run-heavy system to uh, breaking passing records. And they did it that first year and then kept setting you know, FBS records almost year after year with only guys that played their fifth year senior year. Uh, so I, I think that KJ Costello has an opportunity to come in and be very, very successful. I think the system has sort of proven itself uh, to where, you know, at least from a passing yardage standpoint, they're going to be, he's going to have an opportunity to, to put up some great uh, numbers and it's not like KJ Costello is just a, a scrub. He certainly had a, a rough year last year. Was banged up a, a several different. You know, had a concussion. Had I think a, a hand, a thumb, something like that. Uh, but this is a guy that threw for 3,500 yards and, and 29 touchdowns in 2018. Uh, he, he's had a ton of production in the past, and he's also really intelligent. And, and you know, he's a, he's a Stanford graduate. That's got to count for something. And he's probably from a raw talent standpoint. I mean, he's, he's kind of the NFL prototype, built-in-the-factory type quarterback that, you know, Mike Leach really hasn't had before. And I think the first argument people uh, bring up, you know, why isn't this guy going as high in, in these, you know, CFF drafts I'm doing, or, or why are they not, you know, so high thinking he's going to translate immediately in 2020, it, it's, you know, oh, well, it's the SEC and defense in the SEC. And and I, th I think that counts. But I think also we've seen, you know, what LSU did to the SEC last year. There's there's opportunity. You know, maybe it's not quite the same as it 
always was where uh, maybe we should, you know, give give Leach, give Costello a little bit of credit for having a system that can beat, you know, uh, a, a fair number of teams and it isn't going to be necessarily overmatched in the SEC. But I, I won't go as long on all these other guys, but I, KJ Costello specifically has been on my mind. <laughs> well, I know you're a big <laughs> fan of KJ Costello, so I'm not really surprised. Uh, what about uh, the, the Derek Stingley position here, Nick? Where, where are you going as far as that goes? So similarly, with CFF on my mind, uh, Justin Fields has been one of the, the, you know, basically the number one overall pick in a lot of these drafts, or, or if somebody uh, takes a, a running back ahead of him, Fields drops to like third or fourth. He's pretty clearly considered, at least from a CFF standpoint, and I think, you know, he's the Heisman favorite, I, I believe, a slight favorite over Lawrence last I checked. Uh, if we think he's the best quarterback in college football, he's got to have somebody to throw to. So who are going to be his top options? He's got Chris Olave. He's got... Garrett Wilson, but everything that I've, I've read and seen about Julian Fleming coming in is that he's, you know, the, the elite of the elite as far as an impact receiver as a true freshman. So I, I think there's a chance that Julian Fleming just blows up and becomes uh, maybe, you know, Ohio State's top receiver, has, you know, a, a Justin Ross type freshman year maybe where he, he late in the year explodes and, and becomes like the guy for a, a national championship contending team. Uh, I, I just think that he's got huge, huge upside and he might emerge as Ohio state's best option. And in that case, if he's got, you know, the best quarterback in the country throwing to him, he, he certainly has an opportunity to put big numbers. But I also wanted to mention Clark Phillips, the third at Utah, who uh, very, very highly rated. Uh, I think one of the highest rated recruits Utah has, has ever had. And, and we've talked before about how much production they lost on the defensive side of the ball, specifically in the secondary. Uh, they're completely wiped out as far as starters in the secondary. So Phillips, I believe they got a, a few practices in and he was already working with the first team. So playing, a, a, you know, he plays corner, could play safety, not 100% sure where, where he'll line up for the long haul. But uh, playing in, in the in the secondary like Stingley might uh, have an opportunity to, to make uh, a similar impact in the Pac-12, if not the national level. We saw almost the entirety of the Utah defense get drafted this weekend, so right. not surprising mm-hmm. that they've got openings, right? Uh, what about you, Xavier, for the uh, Derek Stingley spot there? I think first you have to look at uh, Bryce Young. Uh, the, I think that that quarterback position at Alabama is an open slot right now. I don't think that they're sold – on Mac just yet. I think Bryce Young comes in with an opportunity to really take that spot. I mean, um, recently they've liked dual threat quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, too, is a guy who could still run uh, before his injury. And I think that Bryce is a guy who can definitely take that spot. You know, raved about him. Absolutely have uh, been reading a lot of articles about how he's come in right away um, and tried to learn the offense as best he could due to the conditions. But um, the only thing stopping him from, I don't think, taking the starting spot is a spring, if I'm perfectly honest with you. Uh, I think, though, he may be um, due to maybe a slow start from Mac. It's not an easy opening stretch. They played Georgia and USC in their first three games. If it's a slow start for Mac, don't be surprised if Bryce Young takes that starting spot and runs with it. Um, staying uh, with two national championship contenders, I think Brian Breesey going to Clemson. I think this is a kid who's got all the tape in the world that makes him look like a possible first-day starter. Um, once again, I think that he may suffer from not having a spring. But at the same time, this is a kid who's already an early enrollee. 
He's an opportunity uh, 6'5", 290, already on campus. And there's not somebody on the defensive line for Clemson right now who I think has a solidified spot. Um, if you look at the game started for all of the guys uh, who, uh, who are still around, they only have about 10 to 13 games, which means they probably played just last season. Um, which bodes well from a kid that I think can slide his way in there. And when you play for a national championship team, you're allowed to, to to do things that you can't do other places. So he's allowed to go a little bit crazy on the defensive line. They're going to make sure that he gets his his reps. And I think that if he blossoms in the first couple of weeks, don't be surprised, especially in a very, very weak ACC, has a really good season. Um, you know, his film already shows him as being an amazing player. And I think that he could do that in his first year for Clemson. He's going to be uh, in the goal line package on offense, too, I've heard. See? <laughs> <laughs> Love that That's going to be dope. Yeah. Um, in, in the uh, interest of saving a little bit of time here, Nick, I'm going to clump the next ones together. We sure. Taylor, Rugg, Simmons, Queen, Becton, and Dobbins. Uh, give us a quick breakdown of who you have in those spots. So for Jonathan Taylor, I, I thought of a guy that, you know, started as a running back as a true freshman and, and then just broke out, had a huge career. I think Marshawn Lloyd at South Carolina at, right now has the best chance of that. Uh, well, of course, you know, the jury's out on South Carolina offensively, but um, I, I think that he, you know, everything I've, I've read and I've seen uh, sounds like uh, they just absolutely love him, think he is uh, the real deal and, and offer a, a, just a fantastic career uh, and probably going to start you know, week one, whenever that is. For Ruggs, I think Rondell Moore, a wide receiver at, at Purdue, um, going back to his high school days, I mean, there, there are videos of him squatting, what, 500, 600 pounds at, at 170 pounds. So uh, he's somebody that can run. Obviously, he had the uh, hamstring injury, which hampered him a little bit last year. But I think we're going to see some really, really impressive numbers from Rondell Moore just from a pure athleticism standpoint. I think he's he's got an opportunity to, to do some special things. For Isaiah Simmons, one that, that jumped to mind for me was Jacoby Stevens at LSU. Uh, started at safety last year, had considered uh, entering the NFL draft, but uh, opted to come back. I've heard that they might actually work him in some at linebacker, which uh, will be interesting. I mean, he's a, he's a bigger safety, and, and I remember uh, there were opportunities for Clemson in the in the uh, uh, national championship game to to get some um, matchups where you know they felt they had an athletic advantage because he was a little bit slow, a little bit bigger. Uh, certainly a great player, but maybe you know as a, as a safety might not be. Uh, absolutely perfect and and if they did have an opportunity to let him play linebacker a little bit more move him around the field more i, I think that might uh really be something uh one that helps him maybe carve out uh, uh you know a reputation somewhat like simmons but also might help lsu as well especially since you know the, the secondary is in in decent hands and has a lot of talent but the linebacker core uh basically is is a lot of young guys and, and new faces so i think there's an opportunity there for queen a, a name that that jumps out to me uh, just thinking back to last year, Paris Ford at Pitt was always around the ball, was always making plays. And, and uh, there were some things that, you know, didn't exactly uh, sit perfectly with me just from, a, you know, uh, just just little things seemed like he was always getting in scuffles, maybe uh, had some, you know, hits that were uh, uh, to the echo of the whistle, that, that type of thing. But I think from an athletic standpoint, Paris Ford, could potentially play his way in, into the first round uh, is a guy that, you know, could put together an all American type season. And is somebody that they could make a, a late push like Patrick queen, I'm not sure Pitt's going to be, 
you know, he's, he's not going to do it at the, the college football playoff, uh, make that huge name for him. But I think over the course of the year, he has an opportunity. Uh, let's not forget about Marvin Wilson at Florida State, guy that got injured late in the year. Uh, one of the things I like about the NFL draft is a lot of the guys who that, you know, that's their thing. They, they're into the draft all year leading up to it, put uh, videos on Twitter and, and write-ups and all that sort of stuff. I like to pay attention to those guys and who they say, you know, I was I was scouting, I was watching this guy, but, oh man, this other guy just jumps out. I can't stop watching him. Marvin Wilson is, is one of those guys. And another that we'll talk about uh, later in our, our all-SEC teams is Tyler Shelvin at, at LSU. But Marvin Wilson was definitely in, in the mix there. Uh, somebody that people just can't, keep their eyes off of him uh, as disruptive as he is in, in the interior of the defensive line. And, and I think he, uh, you know, he's in a lot of early 2021 first round uh, mock drafts, but because he was injured, you know, let's not forget about him. And uh, similarly, somebody who can bounce back, I think is Adrian Martinez yeah. in Nebraska. We've talked about him before. I think the ceiling for him is, is Heisman type numbers. Uh, I'm not sure Nebraska is right. going to challenge for a, a national championship, which is, you know, traditionally what you need to do to, uh, to be in that Heisman conversation is, is at least be a, a playoff contending team. But I think the ceiling is certainly there. And I think uh, if he's healthy, the weapons around him, Scott Frost's third year, I'm still a believer in, in Frost in that system. Uh, I think he has an opportunity to have a bounce back year and a, and a really great junior season after a, a bit of a sophomore slump. I got him on all my dynasty teams, so he better come through here. Um, <laughs> Xavier, uh, what do you have for the picks from uh, Taylor to Dobbins here? Yeah, for Taylor, I think Zamir White has to come to mind right away. Uh, this is a kid who got limited carries last year behind DeAndre Swift. But I think now being the starting running back at Georgia is going to lend him an amazing opportunity to be a guy who explodes next year. You also give him a running quarterback in Jamie Newman, and that you can only imagine that RPO um, and that uh, – that RPO option is going to be amazing for them next year. Um, when you go to Ruggs, I think it's one of his teammates, Jalen Waddle. This is a kid who, once again, had to sit behind a lot of talent in Judy and Ruggs last year. But I got to watch firsthand him rip apart Auburn in the Iron Bowl last year. Four receptions for 98 yards and three touchdowns, not including the one that he took back um, on a kickoff return. This is an explosive kid who I think will, if he doesn't do it during the season, will tear up the combine and will absolutely jump onto somebody's uh, top 15 and top 20 in the draft board. Um, as far as uh, my, uh, Isaiah Simmons, it's got to be Micah Parsons. I agree with him 100%. Micah Parsons is probably the best defensive player in college football, hands down. I don't really think there's a question there. As far as Patrick Queen is concerned, I think Richard LeCount has an opportunity to really put uh, put himself on the map. I think he's played with a lot with a, uh, a younger secondary his entire time at Georgia. And because of that, he's had to play the game a little bit more safe. Uh, this is the most senior-laden cornerback crew that they've had um, since Richard LeCount got there. And yes, although he loses J.R. Reed, you slide in Mark Webb, who's played over 40 games right next to him. So I think this is a guy who can really boost his draft stock this year and who we'll talk about later in the all-SEC team. Um, as far as Beckton is concerned, I think you guys think Tylen Wallace. Uh, this is a guy who was injured last year, but from all accounts was a first-round draft pick the year before. Um, he's a guy who this year, if he explodes with you know Chuba Hubbard and his starting quarterback coming back as well on an Oklahoma State team that we all think might have an opportunity to uh, shake up the Big 12, he can have an amazing year and uh, move himself right back into that conversation of being one of the top receivers in the country. And I went with a little bit different um, kind of uh, list right here. I think JK. Uh, I think the the JK Dobbins pick for me is going to be the Texas defense. I yeah. think that this year coming. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really Texas like. Uh, yeah. Podcast, <laughs> Love it. I think they can. 
I think oh, they just take a step. Just oh, wait, no. Xavier. <laughs> I, I saw it. I saw it. Oh, <laughs> I already saw it. <laughs> um, I think they have a chance to really, you know, jump from what they did last year. They were the Achilles heel of Texas last year. And I think if they can step up and step up to the where their offense should be this year, they're going to have an opportunity to win the Big 12 uh, to Scott's um, alight, um, excitement. So. Yeah. yeah, I like those, and I like the other categories that you put here, uh, Nick. The transfer quarterback who fails to meet high expectations, the Patterson slash Martell. I like the uh, <laughs> new play caller uh, that's going to make an immediate impact, a la Joe Brady last year. Highly recruited player who disappointed over his first two to three seasons, but breaks out in the Carson Palmer. You could probably put Joe Burrow in there as well, uh, even though we already had him. And then under the radar national cha- uh, championship contender. And then the coach passes prime who stays one year too late and that team falls off the cliff. So I like these ones specifically. So what do you have for those ones, Nick? Yeah, I just wanted to throw a little bit, uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, some some other ideas as well. The the next throw a little uh, shade, Nick. <laughs> well, I mean, not always, but but there's Absolutely. certainly some opportunities there. <laughs> but I, I thought, you know, I thought we could get a, a couple of others. Uh, the the Martell Patterson that there's yeah that 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 there's not really a way to shine that one up too much. But uh, I, I think that the first thing that came to my mind was Felipe Franks in Arkansas. I really liked Felipe Franks and and thought that he was going to have a very, very good year in 2019 before he got injured. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't necessarily pick him because I'm not sure our high, ex- you know, our expectations are that high. And looking in on it, you know, some of the guys that, that really do have high expectations, the Jamie Newmans, the Derek Kings, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a believer at, at this point. I think they can be who we who we think they will be. I'm, I'm at least more optimistic. So I had to, to go, I think, with Jake Bentley. Again, not that his expectations I think are huge but it's one that sticks out to me because in our early numbers and we talked about this over the past few weeks when we're talking about returning production and and all that sort of stuff Utah is still pretty high probably higher than I would really feel comfortable with uh in our our numbers they're 18th in our team strength ratings third in the Pac-12 and they lost so much and and it, it makes me really nervous part of the reason they're uh, pretty high is, is Jake Bentley was experienced and productive at South Carolina. He's he's an 88 rated player according to uh, our player ratings, and that carries weight. I mean that that's uh, you know uh, it, it's a drop off certainly from uh, Huntley last year, but it's still you know our numbers the way they they read Utah they look and see a, a rating at quarterback that makes you think okay they're at least going to be able to to survive they're they're going to be they're going to be decent and and i'm just not i'm not sure there there seems to be a little bit of uh concern whether or not bentley will actually even win that job cameron rising the yeah, former I was say cameron rising uh the texas transfer he's no slouch i think he's a four-star coming in so uh he's got to have at least a little bit of a shot right it sounds like it and it sounds like he impressed uh he was ineligible last fall but was eligible for the bowl game went through bowl practices i mean he could have practiced the whole time but uh they they you know thought maybe he was going to be able to get in uh the game against texas uh i, I believe and and ended up not but 
Uh, heard a lot of good things about him, you know, coming out of, of bowl practices and, and heading into the spring. So I'm a little bit worried, partly because our numbers are still so high on Utah about about Bentley. Uh, and so just sort of had to had to be my pick, I think, for that. What about what about the the rest of them? Move on down through Brady and uh, the uh, June Jones slash George O'Leary one. <laughs> sure, yeah. So Joe Brady, <laughs> the guy who can come in and, and make a immediate impact, I, I think is Tommy Reese at Notre Dame. He was on the staff last year, quarterbacks coach. But uh, Chip Long, who was the offensive coordinator there, was pretty well respected, but just personality sort of clashed with uh with Kelly there and and uh I've heard a lot of really good things Reese is young I mean I remember seeing him play just a few years ago it, it seems like but uh a lot of the the buzz around him is you know hey this this young guy really knows what he's doing and, and kind of I hear similar things to what I heard you know Joe Brady last year so that that was the first name that, that jumped out to me the the Carson Palmer I mean I, I remember Carson Palmer was like you know, five-star Mr. Everything, sort of early in the recruiting rating uh, era, but was really sort of disappointing the first few years. And, and then, you know, won the Heisman. Uh, well, he was the first, he was number one overall pick, right? Is that right? Uh, and and then, uh, you know, was on the cover of the video game. So became a star. I think Miles Brennan maybe is, is that kind of guy, somebody who got passed up, uh, really highly recruited, but Joe Burrow comes in, takes the job, and and uh, there was some thought early this year: is Brennan actually going to, uh, you know, are they going to bring in somebody else? Is he going to be able to hold off and, and actually take this job? Uh, so I think there's maybe an opportunity for him to to step up and and say, you know, yeah, I, I am a, a really great player. It just took me a little while uh, to to get going. Who do I think could be the next LSU? This one was a bit of a, a toughie. I, I thought I had to look sort of outside the normal. Uh, top top six, top eight, maybe even top ten. I went with Texas. I think. Yeah. Uh, the, the things yeah. that we think about Texas are somewhat similar to, to a lot of things we thought about LSU. Like, man, this team is uh, underachieved year after year. Uh, they've got all this talent, but they don't ever, you know, capitalize and, and all that stuff. I, I think Texas could potentially. Uh, jump up. I think there's a path to them to, to win the Big 12, and I think we've seen with Oklahoma, you know, you win the Big 12, there's a pretty good chance you get in the in the uh, playoffs. So it, I'm not saying it's a great chance, but but I That's think it's, I, uh, I think Texas has the potential to, to be uh, an LSU type team. And Probably going to uh, win the Natty, according to Nick. <laughs> okay, here we go. And then uh, the last one was one that, that's been on my mind in, in the past. Just there are some coaches that for whatever reason, they just, you know, they, they have great careers and, and do great things at their school. But then one year they either just mail it in or things just go completely wrong. It happened to June, with June Jones at SMU. It happened with George O'Leary at UCF. Uh, I wanted to say Mike Leach. And if he had been at Washington State, despite everything I said it about KJ Costello. If, <laughs> I thought going into that Gardner Minshew year, I thought if you were to ask me, I would have said Mike Leach. I mean, that just the way everything set up that season made me think this team is going to completely fall off a cliff. And of course, what do I know? They turn around and have arguably the best season in school history. So I uh, could be totally wrong about this, but I, I do know some TCU fans are, are growing a little bit tired of Gary Patterson. Think that the offense was a, a problem for them 
in the the early uh, 2000s. They fixed it, became a, a Big 12 and, and playoff contending team with an explosive offense. Uh, but then over over the last few years, things have, have really moved back uh, away from that. Really? It's and, ever and since the cheese ball or the cheese sure. ball. You know, <laughs> I feel like it might have even started before that, too. But but uh, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that that's a great example is just uh, sometimes TCU just can't quite get it going offensively. And in the Big 12, that's uh, really, really difficult to keep up if, if you're uh, not able to, to put points on the board. So I think maybe there's an opportunity. I mean, I think Patterson is, is potentially a Hall of Fame type coach. He's he's, a, he's an absolute legend as far as a defensive uh, mastermind. I mean, the four-two-five and his role and and popularizing that is is legendary among coaches. But uh, I think that maybe you know some some guys have just been in one place a, a little bit too long. So if uh, if I thought who has the best chance of of we look up midseason and unexpectedly his team is uh, you know one in five and and decide you know start talking retirement or, or things like that. I think Gary Patterson might be a, a decent guess. Yeah, I, I like that one as well. Uh, Xavier, your picks uh, here for the uh, Martell, Joe Brady, Carson Palmer, LSU, and June Jones slash George O'Leary. Yeah, I think uh, a transfer quarterback who's going to fail to meet his high expectations is Derek King. And I don't think it's necessarily because he's not talented enough to get it done. I just don't trust that offensive line. Um, this is the offensive line that got their quarterback absolutely killed, and they returned three starters. And, you know, I think, you know, as I've said on this podcast many of times, you know, trash that just sits in the garbage can still stinks. It just stinks worse. And I think that mm-hmm. Derek King, for the most part, is going to be running for his life all year. Um, I don't have faith in that offensive line to help keep him upright. And thus, he's going to get a lot of backlash unfairly. But I think he's going to get a lot of backlash for the lack of, you know, big people he has up front trying to protect him. Um, when you move on to a new play caller capable of making a major uh, immediate impact. You got to think about Todd Monken at Georgia. I mean, he really doesn't have an option. He has to come in and hit the ground running. Um, they get him a quarterback who I think can do anything he's going to ask him to do. Um, a running game that's going to be more than viable as an option. And this is a guy who is going to try to spread the ball around. And, you know, he just has one of the best receivers in the SEC and George Pickens to, uh, as one of his toys. So I think that he has to come right in. He's going to come right in and do a really solid job. You know, he has the talent around him to get it done. It's just all about execution up to this point. Um, a Carson Palmer guy, I think it's going to be KJ Costello. Uh, this is a guy who I think was up and down at Stanford. Uh, obviously, injuries kind of coincided and ended his last season. But I think going into Mississippi State, he's going to get the opportunity to throw the ball 40 times a game. His numbers, at the very least, are going to be impeccable. You know, whether they win games or lose games, I don't think that matters. Um, you know, Mike Leach has gotten his kids drafted. Anthony Gordon's with the Seahawks. Minshew's with the Jaguars and Costello, we can all agree, are probably better than those guys from at least uh, an eye test um, standpoint. And I think that Costello is going to come right in with the offense that Leach provides and put up amazing numbers at the very least. Um, A team under the radar. I got Oklahoma State. Um, I I know it's, you know, Nick just raved about Texas. but I think this Oklahoma State team has an opportunity to really shock some people and catch some people slipping and, and and be a viable option to make it to the national championship. I think they can get out of the Big 12. I'm not sold on Oklahoma yet um, at the quarterback position. I, I've heard great things about Spencer Rattler, but I'm not 100% sure yet. And that defense has always been suspect. Um, Texas's defense, we're all hoping that they can tackle better. But, hey, who knows? They might forget how to tackle by week four, and they can end up the same way they did last year. Um, and I think Oklahoma State has the talent to do it for the first time in a long time. 
Um, I think they have the most talent offensively that they've had since, what, Justin Blackman and Brandon Whedon. Um, so they have definitely have an opportunity here to run the table and make a, a viable case for a national championship contender. And uh, I kind of got this question a little bit differently. Uh, I thought of just coaches that I think are going to be fired by the end of the year. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, and so I went with Will Muschamp at South Carolina. You look at a guy who's been there for four years now, has only had one four, uh, has only had one winning regular season throughout that time. But he's such uh, a good you know, recruiter. Look at his wife. Oh, great. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I think he's he's a, he's a lovable guy, but you know, you got to put wins on the board. And at the end of the day, you know, going nine and four being your best record there, and that happened in year two of your tenure, is not going to cut it, especially not in the SEC. You look at Chip Kelly. I don't even know how he's still there. After a three and nine and a four and eight season, I don't think it gets any better for him at UCLA, and he's fired by the end of the year. And last but not least, I saved this one just for all the Michigan fans who aren't listening anymore. <laughs> and Jim Harbaugh, you're gone. Um, you know he's gonna be he's gonna go in this year six. You know he hasn't won a bowl game since year one. Uh, this is a guy who has fallen short of the expectations year after year, and I don't think that changes this year. If he has another nine and four, eight and five season, I don't, would not be surprised right now if he was gone. Uh, by the end of the year whatsoever. I think we've successfully chased off most of the Michigan listeners. So maybe not all of them, maybe not the hard-headed ones or uh, any of that <laughs> stuff, but I think we've chased them all off. Not not by design, by any mention. I have a couple of my right, best right, friends right. are huge Michigan fans. So, uh, But I, I, I'll i like Michigan way more when Jim Harbaugh is gone, which should be in 2021. So uh, fingers crossed for that, for sure. The only one I'll mention that you guys didn't bring up, just the name, uh, and we he was brought up in the show earlier, but for the Dobbins Award, uh, potential for Mackenzie Milton to come back Ooh. and play at UCF. Uh, you know, I, I've seen it look like a, a career-ending injury because the same kind of deal that Alex Smith went. Everyone is you know telling Alex Smith, dude, just hang him up. We keep hearing about a different surgery that he had to go through to just to save his leg. So he's trying to get back, and at least you know, it, to me, it feels like get one snap. In the NFL, I think Milton could do better than that because he's just younger and um, he's been out there, uh, you know, doing uh, drops and throwing balls and stuff. So he looks like he could potentially comes back, come back. Who knows if he's going to be cleared by doctors? I mean, they're a little wrapped up right now, so we can't get good reports on Mackenzie Milton. But I think there's a possibility should he see field time that he gets a nice uh, bump as well. Um, but let's right. talk about the 2020 preseason All-SEC teams. And, Nick, uh, kick us off with the offense because we have VGR. You did a poll on Twitter and then our three teams. So uh, start out with the VGR+. Plus. Yeah, so I, I thought it would be good, one, to give us a chance to, to talk a little bit more. And I know we don't have a, a ton of time left, but to talk a little bit more on the player level uh we went through all the all the teams all the conferences and and touched on little pieces here and there but i think by digging deeper a little bit into into each conference with our preseason all sec or, or all you know whatever conference uh lists over the the coming weeks uh give us an opportunity to shine some light a little bit more on on who could be some of the big uh impact players in 2020 so first thing i did was took it our, our vgr plus uh, individual player ratings and thought, okay, who's going to be the, the top rated player at each position? And, and like most all-conference teams, this is not just 11 players. I mean, it's a quarterback, two running backs, 
three receivers, a tight end, five offensive linemen, and then uh, threw an all-purpose player in as well. So on offense, uh, our highest-rated quarterback is KJ Costello. He's a he's a 100-rated player because of all the production he had at Stanford, because he was a highly-rated recruit, because he's very experienced. So uh, that you know, there's not another 100-rated player in the in the league. So that's uh, who got it. Najee Harris from Alabama and Kylan Hill at Mississippi State are also 100-rated players. They've been very productive. Uh, Harris especially was uh, really really highly rated, a five-star player coming out of high school. So no real surprise there. And they're both very good. They both you know, had had great years last year. Harris did get some all SEC recognition. Hill, I believe, led the conference in rushing if memory serves. So uh, no surprise there, probably, even though his role likely will be different this year. Wide receiver, we've got three uh, maximum rated players, Devontae Smith at Alabama, Jalen Waddell at Alabama, and then Jamar Chase, of course, the defending Bolitnikoff Award winner, uh, All-American, everything, you know, hard hard to argue with those three as, as we'll uh, see you know later on as we go through our teams at tight end Kyle Pitts I think is the best tight end in, in college football I, he's a wide receiver that plays tight end as far as production offensively uh, I know there are some you know smaller conference guys that that a lot of people think are going to put up big numbers you know from a CFF standpoint that that sort of thing but give me Kyle Pitts all day every day I think he's uh, potentially a first round guy and and uh, a game changer at the tight end position Offensive uh, offensive line, our highest rated players, Alex Leatherwood and Landon Dickerson, both of Alabama, both who had all SEC recognition last year, are both 100 rated players, as is Trey Smith at Tennessee. Austin Deculus is a, almost a 96 rated player, is the only returning starter at LSU, 25 career starts. Uh, and then Landon Young at Kentucky was a big part of uh, Kentucky's, you know, just incredible rushing offense last year. Lynn Bowden deservedly got a, a lot of credit but Kentucky I think quietly had one of the best offensive lines in college football they returned four starters 84 total starts and Landon Young holds down the left tackle position for them so I think he's gonna uh, be set up for another really nice year all-purpose Jalen Waddle does everything on uh, special teams and uh, is, a, is a complete game changer uh, for them as well so from a, a BGR plus standpoint it made sense to, to put him in for the poll, uh, I, I did poll our Twitter followers, and, and uh, it, it got a little bit messy. I put too many people out there. I didn't want to <laughs> leave anybody off, right. because, you know. But I also wanted to, so it, it did get a little bit messy. But I, I think it it makes sense because I've seen Kyle Trask uh, in those discussions, the Florida quarterback as as potentially All SEC first teamer. I, I get it. He had a good year and, and was better than expected. I personally like Emory Jones a little bit more <laughs> for, for, you know, to either be my quarterback at Florida. Uh, and, you know, so so that I think, you know, it, it makes me hesitant to, to anoint Trask as, as the top guy. I'm with but, you on that. I think I like Emory more as well. So Trask, exactly. eh, eh, to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. And, and he, you know, again, he had a, a really nice year and stepping into a tough situation. Uh, and he's, as well reported, very inexperienced. But uh, I'm, I'm just not quite sure. I think there are probably better options 
for me personally. And the rest lines up with our VGR plus Najee Harris, Kylan Hill, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, and, and Jamar Chase, who didn't do all the polls for, for all the positions, just the sort of the, the stars on offense. But uh, I think that makes sense. And, and other than Trask, really no surprises. My personal all SEC team, there's not much change except at uh, the most important position. I think Kellen Mond at this point mm-hmm. has the potential to be the all SEC quarterback. I think we can make arguments for for others. I think it's kind of fun in the SEC this year that there is, you know, it's not Tua and everybody else like it was last year. So I think Mond, I, I did a deep dive into Texas A&M last week, and there were certain games where, you know, you, you shake your head at, at certain throws, certain decisions he's making. But then there are other games where you just, you know, your jaw drops at, at some of the throws that he's able to make and, and some of the plays he's able to make on the run, uh, running away from defenders for 70-yard touchdowns. And, and Kellen Mond is, is an exciting player, and, and he's got an opportunity, I think, to really put it together as a senior. Texas A&M has a, a weaker schedule this year. I think he's got an opportunity to maybe feast on some of that weaker competition, put up big numbers, uh, which is partly what all conference teams are, is who puts up the best numbers. And, and so I think we're going to see a jump for him statistically, but I think we're also going to see a jump as far as pro prospects, you know, or, or pro talent evaluators and, and things like that. Everybody else, for the most part, was similar to, to what we mentioned before, Harris, Hill, Chase, Smith, Waddle, Pitts, the offensive line. The only difference, I, I said Dylan Wanham at South Carolina. He was banged up a lot last year, uh, but I think he's got an opportunity to, to become, you know, maybe an all-SEC type guy. I took Deculus off, uh, kept Landon Young, and, and added uh, Dylan Wanham. And then all-purpose, one of my favorite players to watch in all of college football when he's healthy, and he just unfortunately wasn't healthy last year. It's Kadarius Tony at Florida. Uh, he's the you know he he plays that sort of Percy Harvin role that works so well for Urban Meyer and Dan Mullen at Florida. And if if he can stay on the field, he's got an opportunity to do some really good things as a runner, as a receiver on special teams. So much fun to watch, and and Wall is better obviously, but already him as a, as a receiver. So I uh, thought that Tony was worth making mention there as well. Yeah. I like the Kadarius Tony pick for sure. Uh, I mean, a lot of the same picks we're going to have here, of course, but uh, Xavier, who were your guys that were different than Knicks? Yeah. Um, first ones that come to mind are a couple of Georgia kids. I think Zamir white has an opportunity to really uh, make a name for himself this year and have a really good season. I mean, we saw Deandre Swift, put up amazing numbers. And I think Zamir White can do the same. Um, George Pickens, once again, is a guy who down the stretch really showed his ability. And, uh, you know, Jamie Newman, for all of the, the crap he gets for not being able to throw the football, the reason why he looked so bad last year towards the end was because he lost his top receivers. When he had them, he was a, a very good thrower of the football and targeted them a lot. I think that says a lot for the, uh, for the targets George Pickens is going to get this year. And I think he's going to get uh, uh, <laughs> an, enough to put him on the all-SEC team. And then we got a couple of Kentucky guys, you know, doing some research on this, you know, PFF rated two Kentucky offensive linemen as uh, in their top 30 for uh, returning back to college football and Luke Fortner. Ugh, I'm sorry. And, um, ooh, and Drake Jackson. I think right there you have to think that these kids are going to have the opportunity, 
you know, with a starting quarterback, um, an, an even better opportunity to make it a claim for themselves to be in the All-SEC team. And I think that is all I have. I, the only difference there for me, Nick, on top of that was Jalen Waddle being all-purpose, uh, the AP guy. I think that he's just an amazing kickoff return guy. And I, I think Kadarius Tony is a good pick, but, you know, if he comes out first three games of the season and returns kickoff returns for touchdowns, I think he might have it wrapped up just then. Uh, so I think Jalen Waddle fits perfectly in that position. Yeah, I agree. I only put all purpose on there just to so I could say Tony's name. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a lot of the same guys. I mean, KJ Costello was my quarterback. I had Najee Harris and Zamir White, who both these guys just mentioned. I had the exact same wideouts as Nick. Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddle with Kyle Pitts. We all across the board had him at tight end. Uh, I know that PFF liked Darian Kynard, the uh, guard from Kentucky, or the offensive tackle from Kentucky, so I put him on the list too, which gives us, you know, I think the entire Kentucky off- starting offensive line <laughs> between all of our stuff here, all the four returners anyway. Uh, I did add, I went two tackles, two guards, and a center, so I took Trey Hill, uh, your guys' boy out of Georgia, the the center. I think he uh, could be a high pick in the draft as well. And then for my all-purpose guy, I went with Jerrion Ely, the uh, running back for Ole Miss, because he actually led the SEC in kick returns as a freshman last year, 317 yards and a score with a 24.4 uh, yard per kick return average. He doesn't return punts too, but just kicks for him. But uh, he he's going to be a stud, and I wanted to put him in running back. I just didn't think right. I could between <laughs> Najee Harris right and too. Zamir White. So yeah. I, I just couldn't do it. So um, let's go over to the defensive side, Nick, and what does VGR Plus say about the defense in the SEC? This is almost harder to pick, I think, the defense. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And and so similarly, it's not just 11 players. It's four defensive linemen, four linebackers, and, and four in the secondary. Uh, our top-rated defensive linemen are LeBron Ray at, at Alabama, Tyler Shelvin at LSU, Big Cat Bryant from Auburn, and Aubrey Solomon at Tennessee. Not really uh, maybe too many uh, surprises. Maybe Solomon might not be a lot of people's first uh, first thought there, but uh, you know, and, and Ray, we haven't heard a, a ton from him. Part of it's been injury, part of it's uh, because Alabama's just had so many uh, great players on the on the defensive line. But a uh, solid group there, of course, at, at linebacker. Dylan Moses at Alabama, Errol Thompson at Mississippi State, who Thompson declared for the draft but then pulled back, if, if uh, memory serves. Mississippi State, unfortunately, does not have a 2020 roster. Uh, and I know he didn't get drafted. I know he didn't sign an undrafted free. I'm, I'm 99% sure he's coming back, but I'm still, you know, I'm always trying to, to – <laughs> Make sure I didn't miss anything. So, uh, also at linebacker Anthony Hines the third at Texas A and M, uh, and Adam Anderson, interestingly at, at Georgia, who wasn't even a, a starter, I don't believe, uh, but is is because he was such a, a highly rated recruit and, and did you know he was, he was productive. They played a lot of linebackers last year, and he was able to to rack up some uh, some counting stats that we look at for our production points. So he's able to sneak in as that fourth rated linebacker in the conference. Uh, in the defensive backfield, probably not going to surprise too many people. These are all 100-rated players. 
Patrick Sertan, the second at Alabama, the corner uh, safety, Richard LeCount that, that uh, Xavier mentioned earlier, had a just an incredible year last year, uh, sort of surprising that he came back for his senior year. But uh, Georgia fans are, are certainly happy about that. Derek Stingley, a lot of people have said, you know, talent evaluators as well, that he's uh, the best in college football. Probably would have been a first round pick this year uh, if you were able to come out as a you know, true freshman. And then Jacoby Stevens, who, who we mentioned before, might play a little bit of linebacker, is a, a big safety, but he's been uh, experienced and productive enough uh, to earn a 100 rating according to our formulas. Uh, there there are some changes with, with my uh, first team. I said Malik Herring from Georgia, uh, defensive end, who isn't, you know, he, he's a returning starter. He's got nine career starts, but uh, somebody that, that's played a lot, 42 career games, and, and has put up some good numbers in the past. Georgia playing a, a 3 4, you know, defensive end doesn't quite rush the passer as much as uh, defensive ends in, in different, uh, you know, setups. So, uh, maybe gets overlooked a, a little bit. Tyler Shelvin, as I mentioned, was somebody that just jumps out on film. You're trying to look at all the other first, second, third round picks LSU's got on defense, and you can't help but look at the guy in the middle playing nose guard, just a, a disruptive force. Another guy that was a, a little bit of a surprise as a redshirt sophomore that he didn't leave early. Um, he, he's going to be a problem. For, for SEC defense already is, but but he's going to be even better, uh, especially since he's he's continuing to add a little muscle to uh, what might have been some baby weight early on. I think he's still three thirty in that range. Wouldn't be surprised if he cuts it down. It's to a lot of baby weight. Three twenty, yeah, three sixty or something. So uh, he, he's he's put in some work and and Good. it's it's paying off. He's going to be a high draft pick. Uh, DJ Dale played as a true freshman in a very, very similar role at Alabama. I think he's going to be uh, excellent throughout his career. I think he certainly has an opportunity to, to jump up and become a first-teamer. I, I went with a little bit of uh, I thought it was outside the box, but somebody else uh, had this name as well. Dio Yingbo. I screwed that up. I apologize. <laughs> but uh, from, from Vanderbilt, uh, has been very – productive and I, I also dove into Vanderbilt a little bit I'm so concerned about their offense I think they're going to be unless one of those new quarterbacks really can get things together I think Vanderbilt's going to be so bad on offense that the defense is going to be on the <laughs> field all the time and the defense is the most experienced defense in the country returns the most production in the country so they're going to be on the field a ton so a guy like Adeyingbo is going to just get stats. You know, he's going to get sacks. He's going to get tackles for loss. He's going to get a ton of tackles for a defensive lineman. So I think he's one of those guys we're going to look back and be like, man, look at how many, you know, how many sacks this guy had. He's obviously an all SEC type guy. And, you know, Vanderbilt gave up 45 points a game or whatever. So uh, that, that one just a little bit outside of the box. Thought I thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, the linebackers, there are only two changes. I, I took off Hines and Anderson. Don't know that they're quite there yet. Aziz Adjulari from uh, Georgia, one of the best pass rushers in the SEC, had an excellent year last year and, and has an opportunity, I think, to be even better in 2020 and beyond. Uh, Henry Toto from Tennessee. Is, How is he uh, not from BYU? <laughs> well, he's probably, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, from California, I believe, and, and something I read, he's having to get up at 
uh, like four in the morning to go to class. Oh, uh, for these, his virtual stuff because he's in yeah. California. Oh, mm-hmm. but uh, great player. Uh, made you know really came on late in his true freshman year. Uh, Tennessee's the the only real weak spot I think or, or potential weak spot. They they lack depth at linebacker, so he's very very important. Needs to stay healthy. Has an opportunity to to put up a lot of. Uh, you know, big tackle numbers, and uh, Batuli, the guy who's who's been the leading tackler there in the last few years, uh, is gone. So he's gonna he's gonna be probably the guy that that's gonna uh, be in the middle a lot. My secondary is the same. I mean, uh, there's a lot of good guys. Marco Wilson at Florida, uh, guys like uh, Kyrie Elam at, at Florida. I think has a, a huge potential carry Vincent at LSU that that's still going to be probably the best secondary in the country. Mm-hmm. South Carolina has a couple of guys uh, at Tennessee. Bryce Thompson had a huge freshman year, fell off a little bit uh, last year, but uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, of guys, but I think that four uh, highly, highly rated, highly productive. Uh, I, I, it's hard to sort of, you know, choose anybody over them. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was uh, a little surprised. You have a lot of the same guys, Xavier, but uh, you're, in fact, your defensive line is the same outside of uh, you're adding uh, Jordan Davis from Georgia. But Homer, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, can, can you tell us about uh, Jordan Davis from Georgia? Yeah, I think the kid is just going to take a, a huge leap this year. I think last year, you know, he, he sat behind some, some senior guys and, and – uh, I think this year he's going to get more reps. And I think that's going to be what's most important for him coming into his junior year. You know, he had two and a half sacks last year. He played really well down the stretch. He was one of the few guys to actually get to Burrow this year. Um, I think that he's going to be an amazing guy. And, you know, pointing out to Nick and Malik Herring, I think Jordan Davis is going to be the reason why Malik Herring has a great year because they're going to have to double team him inside. He's a big kid. He's 6'6", 330. Um, and that's just was listed on ESPN. That's a big dude. And I think he has an opportunity to really, you know, in, in my opinion, is going to be one of the more talented defenses Georgia's had in the Kirby Smart senior, maybe the most talented defense that they've had. Uh, he's going to be one of the guys who's the faces of that defense come later in the year. Um, my only differences outside of that were K.J. Britt at Auburn. Uh, I know Nick had him in his honorable mentions, but I think K.J. Britt can take that next step. Um, and the linebacker role, once again, reps is going to be a big reason that he takes that next step going into his senior year. A guy who only has 68 total tackles, I think, can jump that maybe into the 80s, 90s, and maybe into the 100 range at Auburn. Buddy Johnson is another guy who I think if Texas A&M is going to be a team uh, that can uh, challenge for the SEC, absolutely think he has to take that next step. 77 total tackles last year. You easily think he breaks into the uh, 100 range and is going to be a guy going into his senior year who has to play well for Texas A&M to be good. Britton Cox was my wild card here. Um, they're going to expect a lot of him, a lot from him at Florida in the linebacking core this year. Uh, but he's a guy who had a decent freshman year at Georgia. Fell out with the coaching staff, but I think at Florida is going to fit right in perfectly. Um, I think you're, you're going to see him play a several different positions, whether that's linebacker or uh, a weak side defensive uh, defensive end. Um, I think you're going to see him blitz a lot and be the guy in the backfield this year. Um, and lastly, Marco Wilson, like Nick alluded to, I think takes that next step. He was sitting behind CJ Henderson as the number two corner for Florida a lot last year, but it's a guy who's a ball hawk. He had three INTs last year. He's going to be a guy that you don't want to throw towards. I think he's going to have an opportunity to make a lot more plays guarding the number one receiver. Uh, I, I had a couple changes on my uh, defensive line here. And uh my, my list is more kind of guys that I'm going to be looking for for the 2021 draft, and these guys 
all have a lot of upside. I've matched Tyler Shelvin with both Nick and Xavier, of course, out of LSU as far as interior tackle goes. I added Christian Barrymore from Alabama next to him. I know the draft network very high on him as an interior defensive player. And then my edge rushers were Big Cat Bryant out of Auburn, who uh, you know doesn't have a ton of production but always makes a lot of noise uh, in there. And Jeremiah Moon from Florida as an edge rusher as well because um, we just saw two of their guys get drafted in Greenard and Zaniga, and Moon was behind them and fairly productive as well last season. I believe he had uh, three sacks, six and a half tackles for loss and 31 overall uh, uh, tackles as well. So he's going to be uh, pretty good moving to a starting role this year. On the linebackers, I know these guys, Nick, are both kind of tweeners, right? Boogie Watson from Kentucky and Nick Bolton from Missouri. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're both kind of built in that Isaiah Simmons role, I think, where uh, they could end up at the next level as either a hybrid or as a safety instead of playing a linebacker. But uh, Boogie Watson at Kentucky, 11.5 tackles for loss, 6.5 sacks, and uh, 36 combined tackles. Pretty strong uh, as a linebacker for him. And then, you know, Bolton really is taking over for, if you guys, did you guys watch Cale Garrett at all last year at Missouri? Mm -hmm. The dude returned like three or four touchdowns. I had him on my IDP uh, CFF team, so I was really excited watching him, and he's gone now. But Nick Bolton, over 103 tackles last year, a sack, two picks, one score, seven pass deflections as well. So with uh, Garrett out of the middle of that defense, seems like he is going to become the primary playmaker. And then on the defensive backfield, you know, like these guys, I mean, you know, Xavier had Sertan, Marco Wilson, LeCount, and Stingley, and I'm going to have Stingley, Sertan, and LeCount as well. My difference was uh, I picked Sean Davis out of Florida uh, just because he's a playmaker. I had three picks, 51 tackles, 111 yards, defended three passes as well. So I could see him uh, sitting back and getting uh, some, some more picks this year and always enjoy watching some playmakers. So that is my all sec defense uh who are some other guys that uh you wanted to get in on the list here nick but you just weren't able to throw in <laughs> there there are so many good players I and, and i just i couldn't yeah. right well, i i just i i think i have a <laughs> bit of a problem because uh even as i was watching the nfl draft i you know it was the sixth and seventh round guys get picked i was like oh man he was a really good player there you know yeah it, it's hard it, it, the, to make it in, in the NFL to get drafted is hard. There are a lot of really good players and, and guys that I just love watching. I'm, I'm thrilled that you put Nick Bolton in, in your first team. I really wanted him. He was probably tops on my list. To, to If I could fit in another linebacker, I would have had him. I think Jabril Cox at LSU, similarly. Yeah. Uh, I'm also really, really glad that uh, Xavier mentioned Buddy Johnson. I mean, we, we said Hines as, as a higher-rated player from VGR+. Plus. Johnson was a lower-rated recruit. Sometimes the way our numbers work, they kind of balance each other out a little bit. Uh, so I don't, you know, I, I don't always get bogged down in, oh, this guy is 
percentage points or, or a few points ahead, even though I think this other guy is is better. But Johnson, I think, has proved from a production standpoint that uh, he's a really, really good player, really productive, and, and glad that he got a mention from you guys as well. Uh, the running back position is is deep. I had Rakeem Boyd is worth mentioning, Isaiah Spiller. You said Ely. I'm, I'm glad uh, because he's one of my personal favorites. At receiver, uh, I think Ole Miss, you know, Elijah Moore got a, a huge percent of the targets last year. I think that uh, fortunately for him, fortunately for Ole Miss, they're going to do a better job of spreading the ball around with Lane Kiffin and and uh, Jeff Abbey, I believe is the name of the new offensive coordinator there. Uh, might have messed that up. But uh, Elijah Moore is really good. And, and even though he might not get as big a target share, I think he has an opportunity to put up big, big, uh, yardage number numbers, excuse me. Uh, Shy Smith at South Carolina. Mike Bobo has had some pretty good, uh, very productive receivers. Usually they've been a little bit bigger than Shy Smith, but he's the the most veteran guy, and and perhaps uh, we could see him break out. Uh, he's going to get Stur- drafted. He, I I really think he's going to be the third guy, you know, uh, of that South Carolina because Brian Edwards got drafted this year, Debo the year before. I think uh, Shy Smith is going to get drafted in twenty twenty one for sure. Uh-huh. Certainly could, and you know, especially if he's able to to uh, break out uh, this year, and and I think there's a potential there with Mike Bobo now calling the plays. Uh, of course, we've said it before, I guess, about South Carolina, but uh, similarly, you know, Aaron Sterling, uh, pretty productive defensive lineman uh, for South Carolina. Uh, also, Tyree Johnson at Texas A&M. Uh, I, I like Owen Popo at Auburn. Uh, really, really. Liked him coming out of high school. He got some playing time last year as a true freshman. Auburn's going to have a good defense again. Not quite as good, maybe, uh, because they lost so much on the defensive line. But maybe that opens things up a little bit more for guys like Papota to make plays. Uh, Dimitri Moore from Vanderbilt, I think, is going to put up big tackle numbers, similar to the way we, we talked about earlier uh, with his teammate on the defensive line. And uh, one name that I, I failed to mention when I was going through my list of defensive backs, Martin Emerson Jr. at Mississippi State is, I think, the next maybe sort of underrated star. He, he's a guy that uh, sort of jumps out at times on, on film. He only started five games, but uh, he's going to step in probably to that number one role where uh, Cameron Dantzler was uh, last season for Mississippi State. I would expect Emerson to be a guy that's going to be all around the football. He's a big corner. Uh, hopefully, he's, you know, he'll be able to, to add a little bit to his six foot two frame. Dantzler came out uh, a bit skinny. Uh, if if uh, Emerson fills out a little bit more, I think he's going to have an opportunity maybe to be a, a, a really high draft pick, maybe a first round type guy. So somebody to watch. He's a true sophomore uh, headed into to 2020. I mean, we already talked about him, but uh, for me, uh, leaving Anthony Schwartz off the list was tough. You know, sure. um, mm-hmm. yeah. that 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 was kind of tough because I do think he's going to be a blazer, uh, you know, just game changing type of of stud this year, especially with Bo Nix taking that leap from freshman to sophomore year. Uh, but you know, Shy Smith is another guy that I really like, and I had a hard time. I wanted to put Tyree Johnson or. Uh, Buddy Johnson on my list, but they're Aggies, and I had a hard time <laughs> leaving Isaiah Spiller off. I really almost put Spiller over Zamir White. I do think Zamir White's going to be better, but I think you know uh, Texas A and M uh, and you know Jimbo have always been pretty good with running back, so I think Spiller could have a decent year as well. Anybody else left off the list for you, Xavier? 
I'm going to be a little bit of a homer here, and I'm going to go Eric Stokes. I no think this way. is a kid who can – Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think, he can, I think he's going to have an opportunity to be the best corner on an amazing defense. Which other than that, I don't really have anybody else. It pained me to put a Florida guy even on this list, so I'm not going to even name any more of those guys. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I did put Kerry Vincent Jr. on this list simply because I feel like Derek Stingley is going to take all of the press away from him. And I think that it's going to be unfortunate that he's going to get kind of left in the shuffle a little bit. Uh, um, I think Derek Stingley is going to take so much of the, the that a guy like Kerry Vincent is going to be thought of as a lesser corner, even though that might not be the case. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us uh, today. And then next week, which, which conference are we doing next week, Nick? Pac-12. Doing the Pac-12. So look for those... Uh, polls out i was trying to retweet them as they came out too because we'll have votes for the pac-12 next week as well and uh pay attention for that and have a great week everyone remember you can follow us on the twitter at bogman sports for me at cfb winning edge for nick at xavier underscore trish t-r-i-c-h-e for xavier and uh, wash your hands and we'll see you next week take it easy everybody cfb winning edge is a patreon supported outlet The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details. (laughs) 